0: well good morning everyone good morning as Pastor Steve said my name is Donna Sandoval I'm the director of worship here at Faith Westwood and I want to welcome you this morning so he asked me to uh, give the message this morning and I'm excited to present it to you as we continue in the absolute basics of faith so let us pray glorious father lead us by your Holy Spirit. We ask you to reveal your wisdom, give us revelation so that we may know you better. I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts that we may be enlightened and grow in understanding of your saving message. In Jesus Christ's name, Amen. Amen. We've already had church this morning. These songs that the band were, were leading us in worship were already acknowledging the joy that Christ gives us in his salvation. We've been set free. But we're um, going to continue our series. But I want to mention last week, Pastor Steve gave a wonderful message titled, What is Salvation? Sometimes those words just sound so technical. And if you missed it, you can hear it and view it on our website. We heard from 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. He is the atoning sacrifice of our sins. And not only for ours, but for the whole world. Think about that. So Christ Jesus died for me. He died for you, and he died for the whole world. I mean, that is really, incredibly good news. Christ's redeeming work on the cross is available to all. It's worthy of shouting from the mountaintops and singing joyfully with our hearts. We learned last week two words. They were action words regarding salvation. The first word was repent. What does repent mean? Turn and go the opposite direction. Repent. The second word is believe. To put your full trust in. Maybe some of you heard that for the very, very first time. To repent and to believe. And you said, I want that maybe some of you recommitted your promise to God and said I need that again either way please tell someone please tell someone because once you confess that once you profess that it seals it even more in your own mind and in your own spirit and in your own soul Let me tell you my story. For me, my story began in high school. A friend in my music class invited me to go to church with her, asked me to come and sing with her and some friends. And I had just moved again and just started this school. And I thought, well, I'm kind of curious about church and maybe if I just go, I'll make some new friends. But I knew nothing, absolutely nothing about my spiritual needs, and I knew it would be stressful in my house. My mom was a single parent, and church was the last place that she wanted to go, but she did allow me to be picked up by my friend. And so I walked into this church, And I could smell the candles burning, and they were comforting to me. I heard the music, and it was soothing to my soul. And it didn't hurt that the Mexican soup down in the basement and the pastries smelled doggone good too. It was just a culture. I thought, I want to be a part of this. I thought everybody had it all together. I was the only one who was lost. It wasn't until my friend took me to a midweek youth group thing where I really heard how much God loved me, how much Jesus loved me. I didn't love myself. I needed this love. I was compelled and drawn and centered and surrendered my heart to God. But through my remaining days in high school, that was my heart kept secret from my family. I was so grateful for what God had done. You know, the scripture we read this morning said that we were born as slaves to sin. Paul used that term slavery so we could get a vision of bondage and what that looked like. He was saying our will was captive. It was bound to sin within us. That our bondage to sin was so strong, only death. Spiritually dying on the cross with Christ could break it. Therefore, being a new creation in Christ, we are free. Our chains are gone. Our bondage is gone because Christ triumphed over sin and death. And that has given us eternal life. We are God's instruments for his righteousness. But what does that look like? I mean, what's the practical application of this, God? We no longer walk with our selfish interests as our priority. You know what? We have a new boss. We have a new master. And it is because Christ on the cross his righteousness has bestowed upon us. We have been justified. That's our word this week, justification. What does justification mean? It sounds so big, so technical. Justification is the action of declaring something righteous in the sight of God. I've heard it said that justification is just as if I had never sinned. That's pretty beautiful to me. Paul wrote to the Romans about how centered in to the garden through Adam. In chapter 5, verse 18, Paul says, Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in the justification for all people. Paul even repeated it again in the very next verse. Again, justification sounds like a legal term, a courthouse word. You know, what does it mean to us? It means to absolve, to set right. The Greek definition is to announce a verdict of absolution, or simply put, not guilty. I once owned a business as a criminal background investigator. Large employment companies would contract with me to check on people's criminal backgrounds. So daily I would get names and I would go to the county and the district courthouses and my job was to do the due diligence of finding them out. Now, my report back to the company could cause someone not to get a job if they were found guilty. Most names were clear. But there were those unfortunates whose lives looked like the crime story magazines that you see at the grocery store. And I would spend hours at courthouses. And I saw a lot of activities. I would see the families lining the hallways sobbing because of what was going on in the courtroom and the emotional up and down and what was going to happen to their family member. I saw news reporters trying to catch the story, get the scoop. And I saw people in jumpsuits and chains, no emotion in their face being moved from one room to the other. Every day in that courthouse, I was there and everyone was there for one reason and one reason only. What's the verdict? Justification of Christ removes the verdict of guilty for my life now. And for eternity, same with you. When you put your trust in God, the verdict is not guilty. You know, I think about sometimes we take that for granted and we slip back into that old bondage. It's like as if on Friday, the judge said, Donna, you're not guilty. Yet Monday, I forget and I show up at the jailhouse to serve my time. As justified men and women, we have made a change in ownership. We're under new management. Justification is the gift of God there is nothing we can do or have done to merit this grace I love reading history I love biographies I'm very interested in in the great people that did great things and so I was reading this story about Napoleon Bonaparte a lot of you know he was considered the greatest commander ever lived. In 1804, he was to be crowned emperor to the French people. The pope was there and it was usually his duty to be the one to place the crown on the emperor's head. But Napoleon Bonaparte took the crown from the pope and placed it on his own head. He took the crown for Josephine and placed it on her head. Napoleon Bonaparte was saying, I did it. I did it my way. Sure, he was great. He, he, he took over the majority of Europe. He ruled over Europe. He modernized these countries that he ruled. He changed the world. But toward the end of his life, he was in exile on the island of St. Helena. One of his friends came one day and visited with him. And his friend asked a bold question. Napoleon, who was the greatest warrior ever known? Napoleon's answer was Jesus Christ. I want to read to you the remainder of Napoleon's answer. I know men and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne and I founded empires, but on what did we rest? The creations of our genius upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of people would die for him. Everything in Christ astonishes me. His spirit overawes me and his will confounds me. I search in vain in history to find the similar to Jesus Christ or anything that can approach the gospel. His friend was amazed. This is not what he thought Napoleon would say. He further recorded, I have always acted as though I was the world's greatest conqueror. I have had lots of time to think since I've been on this island. The Caesars, Alexander the Great, Hannibal, and myself fought with blood and tears and swords of iron. The only sword Christ had was a broken reed. The only crown he had was twisted thorns. The only army he had was a band of fishermen and farmers. His ammunition, the heart of redeeming love. He lives, and I and my kind die. I stand here and call for the old guard. There's no responding voices. I hear nothing but the waves as they bite at the rock beneath my feet. After 2,000 years have gone into the tomb of time, Christ calls men, and they answer. If need be, they give their bodies to be burned if need be they follow him into the heart of Africa but better still they live patient and triumphant lives in his name yes other warriors and I will ride down to the dust but Christ will live forever it seems as though Napoleon saw the transforming power of justification through Christ, and how it would compel his followers to live out their lives. Philippians 2.12 says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation. Paul's writing this from a Roman cell and he's telling these church people in this small town of Philippi mostly made up of retired military soldiers who have received land allotments there and also it was a a large outpost for the poor of Rome to be so here is this just average church And he's telling them, work out your own salvation, not as to earn it, not as to earn it, but to activate it daily in their lives. I like the New Living Translation of Romans 12. It says, don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So I had two opportunities this week to choose the right thing. The first one was I need to get some cash. And so I was going to go to the bank and drive up to the ATM, push the buttons and get my money and head on. I was on a time schedule. And I turn into the bank and a construction worker there. They've got them all torn up. And he waves me in, so I'm committed now. And he waves me to the one and only lane. And of course it wasn't the ATM lane. So I had to, if I needed to get some cash, what? write a check. Some of you don't even know what that is. So I quickly write this check. I throw it into the container, throw it, the button through the chute, and I sit there and think, okay, here we go. The chute comes back a couple of minutes later. I open it up, put the chute back in the container. I go, wow, she doubled my money just for a second. And I put it back in the envelope Get the container But I'm in a hurry Put it back in As I'm pushing the shoot button A frantic teller On that little machine uh, That little television You know she comes out Could you please just put that back in the Yes Uh, Breathing heavily And I said It's already on its way girl because I knew she was gonna have to pay for it herself if she was short that day. So of course then she sends me back my money and it looked all right. So then I, in a hurry, I go to get gas. I, I, gotta, I gotta get this done, I'm, a, I'm on a schedule here. So I go up to the pump, put my bank card in and I'm pushing all the buttons, trying to find where's the no Where's the yes? You know that whole rigmarole. Finally, it says, "Pick up the nozzle." Yes. So I pick up the nozzle. I stick it in the car, filling her up. There we go. And all of a sudden, I look at the the computer, and it says, "Prepaid a dollar." No, fourteen forty-four. What? I, my first thought, seriously somebody paid it forward you know you drive up to starbucks and well they got your coffee for you And i'm thinking 1444 what scripture verse is that i don't recognize that and as i'm thinking about this it clicked off at 1444. i looked up and there's a gas station attendant there i'm sorry ma'am there's been a mistake and we need to redo this whole thing And I thought, oh, my goodness, she apologized profusely. I'm going through the pump buttons again, and here we go to finish it up. And she sees her because I could easily go off with $14.44 of free gas. We go into the store, and I pay for all of it. I get my receipt, and I, I, I love how this looks the 1444 plus 703 2148 and she says I'm really sorry and I said no judgment here we all have these kinda days you know why because I'm gonna see these people again when you do your business at the grocery store when you go to work you're gonna see these people again you know what they can't see that you have received salvation they they can't see justification the blood of Christ walks through your veins the best witness is a changed life you know God meets us right where we're at but when we receive his love he takes us where we should be going So what does that look like? I want to read to you Acts 9. Just some highlights. We've heard from Paul and in Romans and Philippians, but we're going to hear about Saul before he became Paul. And in verse 1 of chapter 9 in Acts, it says, "Meanwhile." Paul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked them for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. That's Saul. He had permission to imprison and he did not like Jesus as he neared Damascus on his journey suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him Saul Saul why do you persecute me who are you Lord Saul asked I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. That light that shined around him blinded him. And for three days he was in someone's home, blind. Verse 9 says, For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Verse 15, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered in. And placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after that, taking some food, he regained his strength you know I was reading the story and I thought this reminds me so much of a principle that we have been learning and trying to implement here That pastor Steve has initiated and it's called the bless Paul was on Saul was on the road to Damascus and he was blinded by the Lord's light of love he wound up in this house three days What do you think he was doing? He was praying. God, open my eyes so that I may see. Open my heart that I may know you more. Who has the power to do this? And then he must have been listening. If you're blind and you're sitting there, there's not a whole lot you could do. He's waiting for God to talk to him again, like he did on the road. And then Ananias comes and he prays for him and he can see. And he is relieved. And they eat together. They, they share. Paul is becoming Paul. He is becoming Paul. He's being called by God to be. Paul, his instrument of righteousness. And then Paul gets up and serves. He's baptized. He's got a new boss. He has new management. He has new papers. He has eternal life with Christ. He has been justified. And it says in... uh, Chapter 9, verse 19. Paul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. They heard his story. They knew that he was persecuting Christians. They knew that this guy had done bad things. But they saw his witness of God's work in his life. He was proving God is alive and well and not only gives eternal life, but gives you life abounding with his love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, we know we cannot earn our salvation. This keeps us humble instead of spiritually prideful. And this causes us to love others, believers and non-believers alike. We thank you, Lord, for your boundless love is unconditional. Your free grace is without measure and your freeing forgiveness is ours forever. We ask you to use us as your shining lights, Lord God, your beautiful workmanship, witnessing of your great love. And in Christ's name we pray, amen.